Once again, hello to my Facebook friends and family. This is Bill Allen from West Irwin Church of Christ in beautiful and hot downtown Tyler. But hey, this is Northeast Texas. This is uh, the middle of June. It's supposed to be hot and it's not disappointing at all. This week we have some beautiful sunshine and we have some very warm temperatures. And like I said, no surprise at all. Uh, there. I hope you're doing well and having a wonderful week. I'm excited to be able to continue our wonderful study through Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20 as we discuss the armor of God. We've kicked it off with a great start over the last uh, few sessions and uh, been able to introduce this study and, and realize that we are in a spiritual battle and uh, on a spiritual journey. And so in that spiritual battle, uh, we require spiritual uh, uh, supplies and armor and weapons. And we hear all of that described in the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. Last week we looked at the very first one mentioned, which incredibly enough is the uh, belt of truth. And we spoke last week about the importance of the Word of God and how that basically holds everything together just like a belt is supposed to do. And for first century Roman soldiers, that belt was very vital, very important. Everything kind of hooked in and you wouldn't be able to have any uh, continuity or any effective armor without it. And same is true of us. Without that belt of truth, the truth of God's word, uh, we're off uh, everywhere and not having any structure, not having any confidence or assurance, uh, not having any peace at all in this life where the spiritual battles can be pretty tough. Thankfully, God has given us his panoply, that Greek word that's transliterated into English in some of our great songs, uh, the panoply of God, the armor of God. And Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20 calls on us to take on, put on that spiritual armor of God. And that's what we do so that we can stand in spite of everything that Satan will throw at us in this spiritual battle. Once that uh, belt of truth is firmly on us and being hooked up and hooked in, we continue on with other aspects of God's armor. And today we talk about um, the breastplate of righteousness. In the Christian armor, the breastplate is the righteousness of God. And so we uh, consider that today as we're going to look here uh, mentioning that great verse in Ephesians 6.14 as uh, Paul lists the items of uh, the spiritual armor. Uh, he speaks specifically in this case of the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is obviously designed uh, to protect um, the vital organs. And there were two types of breastplates in the first century. The first type was fashioned by joining several broad curved metal bands using leather straps. The second was a type of chain garment, and it was constructed by linking small metal rings together until they formed a vest. Uh, both of those were um, had the purpose of protecting the soldier's vital organs. We think today of law enforcement and military personnel, others who will use a Kevlar vest or some kind of protective vest to protect their vital organs, the lungs, the heart, the internal organs, all of that. And that's exactly what uh, the first century Roman soldiers used as well. And that's what Paul refers to here as he writes about 
the breastplate of righteousness. If a soldier failed to wear his breastplate, an arrow could easily reach the soldier's chest, piercing his heart or his lungs. And, and we get that. We understand that, how vulnerable a soldier would be, how vulnerable a police officer might be if they're out facing uh, attack by uh, those that are trying to subvert the law and trying to um, uh, go against their cause, then, uh, then they're very vulnerable without that protective vest. With the protective vest, however, their chances of survival of an attack are much, much greater. And so today, the same is true with us in our spiritual battle, in this spiritual war we're fighting. To go out without a breastplate um, would leave us vulnerable, not just to attack, but to, um, to be defeated by the enemy, the adversary, Satan. With the breastplate, however, we're ready. And specifically in this passage, it is called the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, and so let's buckle up that belt of truth. Let's put on that breastplate of righteousness and, um, and go forward and consider what exactly that means. When you think about the breastplate of righteousness, again, in the Christian armor, the breastplate of righteousness is the righteousness of God. No other righteousness will do. If we're trusting in our own righteousness, in our own faithfulness, in our own obedience, uh, what we realize uh, after a while, and especially if we're honest with ourselves, what we realize is that it's not enough. Uh, our, we are not obedient enough to make up for that one act of disobedience. Uh, if we're relying on our own righteousness, we realize we're not righteous enough to make up for the unrighteousness that we're all too familiar with that we've experienced in our lives. But if we're looking to the righteousness of God, and we'll look at some passages of scripture that talk about that today, out of Philippians 3 and out of Romans 1 and Romans 3, then that is enough. That is enough. Uh, the breastplate of righteousness for the Christian armor is the righteousness of God. And so let's turn to that passage in Philippians chapter 3 that I just mentioned. Uh, there are a few passages in Scripture where the writers are autobiographical. They're telling their own stories. Many of the Psalms are that way, obviously. Um, and, uh, and Paul in the New Testament gets that way as well. One of those times is in 1 Timothy 1, a passage very similar to the one that we're going to read here in Philippians 3. In 1 Timothy 1, he talks about what a violent man he was and a persecutor before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, before he prayed and fasted for those three days in the city, before Ananias, that very brave, faithful Christian man, came to him and said, what are you waiting for, Saul? Repent, uh, arise, get up, and be baptized, and wash away your sins. Until that time, Saul of Tarsus had his sins very much covered in himself, and he was praying and fasting. He had seen the Lord uh, he believed, he was a strong believer, he had repented, but ultimately he needed to be baptized into Christ and have those sins washed away, as Acts 22 verse 16 very clearly says. And at that point, Paul left his own righteousness that he had been building as a faithful Jew and a Jewish leader, actually, and took upon himself the righteousness of God 
that comes by faith in Christ Jesus. This is the story that he tells in 1 Timothy chapter 1 when he calls himself the chief or worst of sinners and yet also reminds us that Jesus displayed his unlimited patience and long-suffering and grace, basically saying, hey, if Jesus can save me, he can save you and anybody else. Um, and that's a great, great statement in 1 Timothy 1. I want us to look at this passage in Philippians chapter 3, because here Paul shares some of the same kinds of things that he does in that passage in 1 Timothy 1. And, and he begins by talking about his Jewish brethren. Remember, Paul the apostle was Saul of Tarsus, a, a Jew, uh, a leader of the Jews, and a leader of the Jewish persecution of Christians once the church began. And we see him there at the, at, the, uh, at the place where the first Christian martyr had his life taken from him. Stephen uh, was stoned to death, and Saul was right there uh, watching the clothes of those who were throwing the rocks and uh, agreeing and affirming and confirming what they were doing. And then he became the ringleader. He became the point man of the Jewish persecution against the Christians. And so Paul talks about that. In Philippians chapter 3, uh, we can read beginning at verse 4 as he says, you know, there are some of my Jewish friends uh, who will brag about their righteousness. And he says in verse 4 of Philippians 3, I myself have reasons uh, to be able to do that. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he lists them starting in verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day, according to the law, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, very special tribe. Remember the first king of Israel, King Saul, was from the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul says, hey, look, you want to brag about faithfulness and obedience and righteousness according to law? I'm right there. I can do it with the best of you. And he says, but it wasn't enough. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, in other places, he says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Can't question my zeal. I was a persecutor of the church in the strongest of ways. And here, Paul is, is uh, reverting back to some of the things he said in Romans 9 through 11. When he... But he says of them, you know, they have a zeal. You can't question their zeal. They're very zealous, but it's not according to knowledge. They have great passion. And passion is wonderful. But passion can't be blind. You can't check your brain at the door and just rely on your zeal and your emotion and your passion. That's what the Jews did. That's what Paul exactly says in Romans 9 and in Romans 10. And he tells us, that's not enough. He says, I was there. I know this. And that's what he's saying here in Philippians 3. I, that's where I was. I was very passionate, very zealous. Uh, but it was not based on knowledge. It was not based on truth. And it was not based on faith. It was based on me doing everything that I could to earn that salvation. And that's impossible. One sin, one failure causes us to not be able to do that. And so he says, in spite of all of those things, 
then he gets to verse 7 of Philippians 3. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I've given up all of that, he says. I don't consider it anymore. In fact, he says in the middle of that verse, verse 8, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I consider them refuse, dung, garbage. I'm, I'm throwing them all away. He says they're out. All of those things that I took great pride in, my own righteousness, being a Hebrew of Hebrews, tracing that genealogy uh, back to Benjamin, uh, the brother, the full brother of Joseph uh, and, the, and the son of Jacob, the youngest uh, son of, of Jacob. And um, uh, Paul says, hey, that's, that's my lineage. You talk about somebody that's zealous. I was as zealous as they could be. I persecuted the church. I led the efforts to destroy the church. Um, and he says, as far as the law goes, I was faultless. You couldn't fault me. It didn't mean that he was perfect and sinless, but it just meant that he was without fault because he had done everything that he could according to the law to make things right. But it wasn't enough. And he knew that. He knew that. And so because of that, when he found the truth, he realized that, I, that none of that's worth it, and he gave it all up. He gave it all up so that he might gain Christ, as he says at the end of verse 8, and then verse 9 of Philippians 3, and be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. What a powerful, powerful statement. And Paul knows what he's talking about because uh, throughout his life up until this time, up until the time that Luke records in Acts chapter 9 that Paul himself recounts and talks about in Acts 22 and in Acts 26 and in 1 Timothy 1 and here. He says, up until that time, I was all about that righteousness of my own. I was knocking myself out trying to be good enough based on what I thought was right. But it turns out, instead of being the most righteous person of the bunch, I was the chief of sinners. I was the worst of sinners. Why? Because I was seeking a righteousness of my own. And he says, that can never, never be enough. And so he says, I gave that up so that I might have the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Why do you do that? Paul, verse 10 says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, that's my ultimate goal, is to, is to be raised from the dead, is to live forever with God and Jesus Christ and the righteousness that comes through him by faith is the only thing that can make that happen. That is the breastplate of righteousness. That's what we put on around our uh, uh, vulnerable organs that are, if they're damaged, then our life is taken away, if you're talking physically. And if they're damaged talking spiritually, then our spiritual life and well-being is taken away. And that's what Satan is shooting at. We'll talk later about his fiery darts and how we repel them through the shield of faith. But for the moment, if some of them get through, then we have on that breastplate of righteousness, that breastplate that is 
the righteousness of God that comes by faith. Trusting in our own obedience and righteousness clouds the way we feel about ourselves. We can never have assurance. We can never sleep peacefully. That blessed assurance that we sing about, it tells us in the very next statement, blessed assurance, what? Jesus is mine. It's only through Jesus and the righteousness that comes from God that is by faith in Jesus Christ because of his blood, his sacrifice for us. That's the only way we can be righteous. And that is the righteousness of God. But that righteousness of God has been made available to us, not because of what we do, but because of our trusting, faithful, Trusting in our own obedience, our own righteousness, clouds the way we feel about ourselves. We can never be good enough. We can never have any confidence if that confidence comes from ourselves. But what we can have confidence in is if that, that righteousness is the righteousness of God. That's when we can find assurance. But trusting in our own righteousness uh, also clouds the way we view others. It clouds the way we interact with them and, and it causes us to judge them and to try to uh, improve our own position, propel ourselves, raise ourselves up uh, by taking the down those around us and comparing ourselves with someone else. Uh, we think, well, maybe I am pretty good. But then we look over at the cross and we see Jesus, the Lamb of God, and we realize, no, no, that I'm, I'm nobody. I am nothing compared to Jesus Christ. It is only through his righteousness that I can be saved. And when we accept that through David in Psalm 32, blessed is the person whose sins have been forgiven. He doesn't say blessed is the person who's never sinned. He doesn't say blessed is the person who has earned their salvation. But rather, he says, blessed is the person who receives something that they do not deserve. And that is the forgiveness of their sins. And David, like Paul, knew firsthand what that felt like. King David, the man after God's own heart, and yet had sinned so terribly. Just as Saul of Tarsus, seeking God in every way he knew how, and yet had sinned so terribly. Both stand forgiven because of Jesus Christ and his blood, affecting Paul under the new covenant, affecting David and all the others under the old covenant. Had Jesus not died on the cross, not shed his blood, then all of those sacrifices under the old law gave his life and shed his blood. And this we'll see on Thursday as we look at the book of Hebrews talking about this breastplate of the righteousness of God. Uh, now, all of those things have an impact. Still salvation by grace through faith. But in this case, the blood of Jesus has allowed those things to be meaningful. Just as the blood of Jesus has allowed my baptism to be meaningful. It's more than just me jumping off the high dive at the swimming pool or taking a bath. It's none of those things because the blood of Christ cleanses me from my sins. When I look to God with trusting faithful obedience. Uh, as we look to others, we realize that we're no better than they. We're not saved because of our good works. We're saved strictly by grace through faith. The breastplate we have on is the breastplate of righteousness, 
and that is the righteousness not of ourselves, but the righteousness of God. Rick Ashley has said, the problem with the, quote, I'm better than a lot of people, end quote, plan of salvation is that a lot of people is not the standard. <laughs> and that's exactly right. That's exactly right. But what is the standard? Well, the standard is perfection. The standard is never sinning, and I don't meet that. I don't reach that at all. But the good news of the gospel is, because Jesus came and lived and died on the cross, um, I do reach that standard. Not because of my own righteousness and my own lack of sinfulness, but because my sins, like David, like Saul of Tarsus, have been forgiven. Uh, my own righteousness is not enough, but the righteousness of God is enough. And that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, because in it the power of God is revealed. Uh, the righteousness of God is revealed. That's why the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, the Jew and the non-Jew. Uh, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And later on in chapter 3 of Romans, he tells us that that righteousness of God is available through faith to everyone. Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That very verse, Romans 3.23, that you've quoted so many times probably, think of it in its context. Read it in its context. Romans 3, verses 21 through 26, when Paul says, uh, the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Christ is available for all who believe because all have sinned and fall short of God's glory and all are justified freely by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, that propitiation, that, that cleansing that we receive, just like we spoke in our Sunday night studies on, from 1 John chapter 1, and we'll be looking at uh, verse 7. Uh, that great verse this week that talks about how uh, the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, cleanses us from all of our sins. What a great, wonderful statement. Uh, it's the gospel that, that uh, John writes about in John 3 when he says, um, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that everyone who would believe in him should not perish or die but have everlasting life. alive. It is by grace we have been saved through the response of faith, and we can't take glory in that. That's not our righteousness either. It's still the righteousness of God. That too is a gift. In Titus 3, he describes it as the washing of rebirth and regeneration uh, through the Holy Spirit. This week, I'm working on a sermon that I'll be presenting in a couple of weeks on Sunday, later on this month, uh, on Nicodemus and how Nicodemus was told to be born again of water and the Spirit. And Paul affirms that in Titus chapter 3 when he says we are justified, we receive that righteousness that comes from God when we respond in faith and receive that washing of rebirth and regeneration, uh, renewal through the Holy Spirit, born again in baptism of water and the Holy Spirit. It's an incredible, incredible connection. And then my favorite passage, In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him 
who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's exactly what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 3. I gave up all the things of my own righteousness so that in Christ I could become righteous and receive the righteousness of God. That's what he says in 1 Timothy 1, and that's what he says to put on in this spiritual battle, this piece of spiritual armor, the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of God. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing blessing. And as I said on Thursday, we'll speak more about it when we turn to the book of Hebrews and hear the great writer of the book of Hebrews, whoever that was, talk about how much better everything is better sacrifice um, uh, a better savior because he is the son of god with the righteousness of god for a breastplate then we press on uh, these verses that ends this great passage in philippians 3 starting in verse 12 one of those passages that you may use as an as your own personal mission statement but it's a great one. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And I always think of Curly, Jack Palance's character in City Slickers, as he's talking to Billy Crystal, and they're talking about the secret of life. And one thing, one thing, and Billy Crystal says, what is it, what is it, what is it? And of course he says, well, that's what you're going to have to figure out on your own. Well, Paul had figured it out. I press on toward this one thing forgetting what is behind, and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's only possible because we have that breastplate of righteousness on. It's only possible because God in Christ Jesus has given us the righteousness of God. Look forward to seeing you again on Thursday afternoon right here.